Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We're back for season six and to help me kick it off is director Brett Morgan talking about his David Bowie documentary Moon Age Daydream. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'll be a rock and roll and bitch for you here on Big Squid. Thank you for joining me for a brand new season of the Big Squid Podcast. Have you missed me? I've missed you. It uh, should have come back uh, much earlier, but uh, someone was very lucky and got COVID for a second time. And let's not go on about it, because who gives a shit by this stage? But uh, that's why it's taken a little bit longer for me to get this season kicked off. But uh, we are ready to go, and we have uh, quite a few podcasts in the back pocket, and uh, yeah, I'll tell you more about that towards the end of this episode. Uh, we have an interview with director Brett Morgan talking about his David Bowie documentary, Moon Age Daydream. I've been lucky enough to see it a couple of times now, so I'll share my thoughts up the top, and then we'll crack into the interview. And uh, yeah, it's great. I got to ask him some questions that I had kind of opinions on, but I like to hear other people's version. Like, I don't necessarily think my opinion is correct. It's just, you know, my thoughts on the subject. And it was interesting to see where we uh, agreed or disagreed or whatever. But he was great. And uh, I was very lucky to spend a bit of time with him. So we will get into that very soon. Uh, Before we do that, of course, our Patreon shout out goes to Alan Halstead. Is it Halstead or Halstead? I should have looked that up, Alan. I'm so sorry. Uh, Alan has been a subscriber for a while now and uh, lives in my hometown of Adelaide, South Australia. Heaps good. Uh, Alan, I hope you enjoy this episode. And since I know that you're a fan of The Dollop 2, keep an ear out for the end of this podcast. I've got some news that you might be very happy to hear about next week's episode. Hmm. Hmm. 
I wonder who it could be. You can take a 50-50 uh, guess, I reckon, and probably work out who it will probably be. But anyway, I'll make that official towards the end. If you're listening and you'd like an episode dedicated to you, along with access to bonus podcasts, scripts and more, head to patreon.com forward slash Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. And also, uh, being a part of the Patreon uh, gets you uh, quite a good bonus off any tickets to live shows that I'm doing. And uh, I have a few live shows coming up. If you're in Adelaide, the live Big Squid podcast recording at the Rhino Room is just around the corner. That is happening on the 16th of September. And if you went across this, just sit back because this is just a random gig in September and the podcast will feature Rove, Will Anderson, Tom Gleeson, Georgia Mooney, Adam Richard, Mickey D, Limo, and making his South Australian debut is Ben Elwood. And it will be a night of us talking about all the art and entertainment that shaped us into the acts we are today. Now, I've released some extra tickets for you, and my listeners can get money off their ticket price by using the code BIGSQUID. That's for everyone who listens to this podcast. And remember, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you have your own code that will get you even more money off that's up at the patreon site but for everyone listening to this podcast big squid all lowercase one word and get yourself a discounted ticket Uh, this is going to be a big show so if you're keen to come along like i know times have been tough uh and People kind of like to wait until the last second, but I've had to release new tickets for it, and I've kept it as cheap as possible. So it's uh, a real opportunity to see some of the legends of the Australian comedy scene all in the one place, talking about stuff that they love. Uh, Also, uh, while I think of it, my new stand-up show, Little Victories, will be appearing in Sydney at the Comedy Store on the 28th of October and Comedy Republic in Melbourne on the 26th of November. Head to bigsquidpod.com and if you go to the blog section, you'll find a a blog that has all of the live details there and what to expect. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting back on stage with this brand new show. Okay. I really want to talk about this movie, so first up, I'm going to share some thoughts with you on Brett Morgan's documentary, Moon Age Daydream. Are you there, David? You're aware of a deeper existence. Are you there, David? Are you there, David? Maybe a temporary reassurance that, indeed, there is no beginning, no end. Find yourself struggling to comprehend a deep mystery. There might be some of you who are new to the podcast, and uh, I'll just do this quickly for people who have not listened before. Apologies to my regular listeners, you've heard me bang on about David Bowie for a long time, but uh, just to sum up, I've been a fan since uh, my mum took me to see him perform in his Serious Moonlight concert at the Adelaide Oval on the 9th of November, 1983. That is far out. I'm coming up to a big anniversary for that. (laughs) I've just realised, oh God. Anyway, I was mesmerised from the first song, which was Look Back in Anger. It was from the Lodger album. I did not know that song. 
uh, he came out with his back to the audience singing the first verse and then when the chorus hit he spun around and all the lights hit and the music uh, swelled and the crowd screamed and I was like, great, I'm in. I don't quite know what's going on, but this is my guy. And at that point, I only knew the hits like Space Oddity, Ashes to Ashes and Let's Dance. But mum took me along because she kind of had an inkling he was the type of artist I'd get into. And I think she could see where I was leaning creatively at that point. And so she just kind of knew this this was the person that I should be checking out. So she asked if I wanted to go along and see the concert. The tickets were really expensive. <laughs> they were $20. <laughs> $20. And... Uh, I went along and, well, it turned out it was a bit of an understatement when mum said, oh, I think you might get into this guy. So I've never wavered in my faith in Bowie. I've never met a Bowie album I didn't like on some level. And I followed him religiously right up to his death in 2016 and beyond. And when I heard there was a documentary coming out, I just hoped at the very least it would be good. Turns out I set my hopes too low. Moon Age Daydream by Brett Morgan is fantastic. I've loved everything every second of it, and, you know, I plan on seeing it all the times at the cinema. Like, it really, really thrives in the cinema. Like, if you enjoyed seeing Bohemian Rhapsody, which I think objectively is not necessarily a good film, but the music sounded great, right? Like, you're sitting in a cinema, uh, you've got those big cinematic speakers, and the music hits you right in the chest. Well, this is the same experience, except you're hearing from the actual artist. There's uh, nothing that you have to kind of wade through to get to the good parts. Because, look, going in, my fear was that this was going to be another documentary where you watch famous people talk about how much they love Bowie. And don't get me wrong, I appreciate the irony in that I'm banging on about my love for him. But a few minutes on a podcast is very different to sitting in a cinema for a couple of hours while you hear someone like... a. I don't know, Boy George or Moby talking about their experiences. This is great. What Morgan has done is he has been given permission by the David Bowie estate to go through all the footage they have in storage and through use of concerts and interviews with Bowie were given a taste of the great man's life. And of course, this is through the prism of the director. So what we're watching is Morgan's relationship with Bowie. And it's interesting if when you go to see it, if you remember, uh, it takes on quite a greater significance when you learn that Brett Morgan nearly died not too long ago, uh, had a, a massive heart attack, ended up in a coma. And I think that's kind of what lends uh, a real positivity to this movie, which I'll talk about a little bit more later on. Uh, The documentary opens with a quote from Bowie, who in turn quotes Frederick Nietzsche, who speaks about an ongoing search for selfhood. And we see Bowie's name spelled out beginning with the letter O. And this is a statement on the structure of what we're about to experience, which is a circle. The documentary moves through Bowie's life in a loose chronological structure, but also circles back to the past, through to the present, and into the future to make important points. Now, if that sounds a little bit confusing, just imagine we kind of move through his career in the uh, shape that you would expect from A to Z, as it were, but at any given point, wherever we are in the structure, we're taking interviews from the past and 
future and the same with the music from the past and the future to tell that story. So nothing is limited to just that era. So uh, the best example I can give you is in 1983 when Bowie reaches the height of his popularity where this is the Let's Dance era and he is massive and he's never been as big as this. And that's kind of where some people decided that he lost his way. Even Bowie himself said, you know, the mid to late 80s and uh, early 90s was him kind of grasping to reinvent himself in a way that he felt comfortable with. So when we see Bowie at this point, the music that's playing underneath is Rock and Roll Suicide, which is a song that ends the Ziggy Stardust album. And it's about when the perfect plastic pop star falls from grace and is kind of torn apart by his fans. So we move forward through the story, even as we hear Bowie talk from different moments in his timeline, reflecting and reframing, learning new truths and redefining old thoughts. As Bowie says... The truth is, of course, that there is no journey. We are arriving and departing all at the same time. And this is what the circle represents. The Bowie experience doesn't begin or end. It's eternal. And you can join in on that experience at any moment. We not only see Bowie's career in all the different forms, but we see his life interspersed with all manner of pop culture that influenced his career or spoke of the times that he strode across the world in high heel shoes and feather boas around his neck. German expressionism rubs frames with 50s horror and science fiction, and Bowie's film clips appear edited and reformed for new context. The movie triumphantly opens at maximum volume with the 90s industrial glam stomp of Hello Space Boy. And what I really love is it also moves through a lot of his hits, uh, but some of those hits are in new forms, like you'll get a kind of new version or a different version of Life on Mars. But you also get some really beautiful deep cut tracks. Uh, there is an album called The Buddha of Suburbia. It is a lost Bowie masterpiece. Uh, not many people really know about it, even the big fans. It's a, it's a beautiful album. It uh, came out in between uh, Black Tie White Noise and uh, The Outside album. And it's kind of... Uh, a soundtrack and he's working on ambient music and uh, I think that's where he really starts to find his groove again and uh, you hear tracks from that that play all the way through it and it's great. Uh, All art of course is subjective and it is important to remember that this movie is from Morgan's view of Bowie. So your take on David Bowie might be different and you know, mine is probably different to you. I think we would all have our own song choices that would clash with each other. You know, like when we see clips in this, we get uh, anthems like Heroes. The, the the moment with Heroes is fantastic. And that's, to be completely honest with you, not one of my favourite Bowie songs. Like, I think it's great, but it's not in my, you know, top tier But this live version is magnificent. And then you get deeper cuts like The Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud. And uh, that's taken from the Ziggy Stardust concert. And it's it's great. But, you know, there were songs that I would have liked to have heard. But then I was also really surprised and, you know, really excited by some of the songs that I wasn't expecting. So, you know... Even if it wasn't uh, all the songs that I would have chosen, I, I kind of felt a little bit relieved 
over the last few years, I've strayed from the glam period of Bowie's music, but seeing and hearing it in the cinema again through those big speakers and that surround sound, it's really reignited my love for that uh, era. And I've been uh, thrashing the Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane albums and even going back to, uh, you know, that... uh, kind of hard to describe album Hunky Dory which is a masterpiece and yeah just that period I've just really enjoyed and it's all because of uh, watching this documentary again. I was prepared to find moments in this documentary upsetting. Uh, I was prepared to be sad that Bowie is no longer with us but uh, interestingly these emotions never appeared. Uh, Instead, I found myself engaged creatively and emotionally and the two times I've seen this film Both times I've wanted to run out into the world and grab life in all my arms so I can just squeeze it and get to work. I think if you're just a person who likes his music, this will be a great experience. If you love his music, I think you're going to be blown away. And I think if you're a creative person, you're going to find that the fire begins to burn even brighter inside. I found it really inspiring and I was not expecting to feel that... uh, alive when I came out of it and as I said I was quite prepared to be a little bit sad and that just never happened it was just a beautiful beautiful experience and I think this is a just a masterpiece and I as I said before I will see it all the times see this isn't a documentary about the man David Robert Jones who was born on January 8th 1947 and died on January 10th 2016 This is about David Bowie. This is the rock star. This is the action man. This is the larger-than-life figure who not only entertained us, but opened a creative and artistic world uh, to the masses that a lot of us never even knew existed or didn't even know our way into. He was always a fan, and he never stopped sharing his fandom with us. It's an important lesson that I took on from a very young age, and I'm very grateful because it's even at this age, I'm still discovering new things and I'm still excited about going and searching. Moon Age Daydream is all about the myth of David Bowie. And as we know, myths never die. I hoped at the very least to enjoy this documentary. As I said, that's kind of what I was hoping. Just just enjoy it. And to come out of it inspired and ready to take on the next day, that was an absolute treat. It was a real pleasure and privilege to sit down with Brett Morgan. He was an absolute delight. And the only thing that uh, I could say negative about this interview is, uh, damn, I wish I could have had three hours with him. I would have picked his brain for that whole time. He's probably very grateful that he didn't have three hours with me. He would have been like, fuck, it's enough, enough. All right, enough of me. Let's bring in Brett Morgan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I've been very lucky to have seen your work twice now. I got to see it on the Friday. I got to see it uh, last night as well. And uh, so many questions for you. But uh, what I noticed on the second viewing is that when you spell out his name at the start, you begin with the O. Yeah. And it feels like a statement of intent that we're going to circle back at the end to the beginning. And there's all these little loops all the way through the movie where it's, uh, you know, wherever we are chronologically, we, we're hearing from the future, we're hearing from the past mm -hmm. to inform... When in the process did you realize that was the structure of what you were working on? I think really early on, you know, B Bowie, um, one of the themes that, um, that is constant through his work is the idea of the double or doppelganger. And um, I probably best express in the song Man Who Sold the World when he runs into a future s s version of himself um, going up the stairs. And so this idea and the themes that Bowie gravitated towards, he didn't sort of arrive at a theme, explore it, exhaust it, and carry on. He did that with stylings and genres, but philosophically, he kind of was engaged with the same questions of mortality and spirituality and transience um, throughout his um, creative life. And, um, and so, you know, probably best exemplified by um, the connection between Silly Blue, a song that he wrote when he was 17 years old, and Black Star, a song he wrote right before he passed. Um, in Silly Blue um, is a song that is, well, it, it, for me, it might be about um, um, Buddhism and reincarnation as it's filled with a, a tremendous amount of that sort of imagery. And at that time, David was interested in um, in possibly um, living in a monastery and studying Buddhism. Um, at the end of the song, as the song's fading out, there's a, a, a harmony line or melody line um, where you hear a sort of chanting. It, it's sort of And then if you flash forward to Black Star. Yeah. That's the middle bridge of Black Star. Yeah. Black Star, also a song about reincarnation, also a song uh, that he did at the very end of his life. And so he's having this conversation across time. And so from the very beginning of the film, I love this idea that he would be narrating about himself. Right. And so at the start of the film, when he comes out and does Free Cloud, a song that I interpreted to um, to be quite sort of lonely and sort of whatever David's intent was, I don't know, but I interpret and express that as a sort of song about wandering and alienation and loneliness. And so I, I inserted shots of David from 1983 underneath David singing Free Cloud in 1973 to kind of posit that he's singing about himself in the, the sort of future tense. And then conversely, when we get to the flame out in the 80s, um, I cue rock and roll suicide. One of my favorite bits. Yeah, to yeah. have it. Because, you know, I had a choice, right? I could have played, you know, Never Let Me Down. Right. 
and use that to illustrate that he was flaming out or I could play a real great song yeah. <laughs> that that better illustrates and articulates and pro, you know and sort of foresees uh, what uh, what the dangers might uh, he might be confronted with down the road so it was um it was a a, a very Bowie-esque element that I don't think would be applicable if I were doing a film on the Stones or Kurt Cobain or anything like right. that. It was very sort of specific to, to Bowie. And and the idea of repetition um, was um, first just merely mis- when I was cutting the film, I would audition shots in different sections. I would say, well, maybe... Uh, because I'm still on the rough stage, so I'd say, okay, let's take this escalator shot and put it here, and then maybe I'll use it here, and then we'll ultimately decide which one it plays better in. And I started to really appreciate the connections I was making between scenes through the repetition of imagery. And I acknowledged that they were mistakes, but they were there are no mistakes. Right. That's what I learned from Bowie. They yeah. became happy accidents. And there was a point in this film where uh, you know, my wife, who's my um, my producer and my the only person I listen to, um, <laughs> you know, kept saying, "You you see, you, know, you 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 still haven't got rid of that extra escalator shot." And yeah. I was like, "No, I know. I'm going to do that next week." And I just got to the point where I was like, "I kind of I know it's wrong, but it's not, and it's it." I, I enjoy it, so I'm just going to leave it. Oh, I loved all of those moments. Yeah. It kind of uh, lends an ethereal uh, uh, vibe to it, uh, coming yeah. back to those moments. And they always came back at, regardless if they were technically mistakes, they always felt uh, correct when yeah. you came back to them. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, I deliberately didn't do any research in the lead-up to mm. this, so then I just went in and experienced oh, You went in cold? I went in cold to the movie. I just I knew you were making it. I, was, I saw the trailer. I went, I will see that 727 times at the theatre, but I'm going to go in and experience it. You saw the trailer, though? I saw the trailer. So you weren't yeah. totally not, cold? Not totally cold, okay. but I didn't okay. want to do any research on uh, you and the lead-up to Copy it. That. I just wanted to experience it. And when I first came out, uh, really optimistic. I felt really happy. And I also felt uh, creatively positively charged. It was both times I've come out going, oh, I'm going to be up all night just creating. <laughs> so then uh, when I read that you had that awful experience with mm. the heart attack and you were in a coma and, uh, you know, awful for your family as well. So when you were making it, was it a deliberate choice to make something that was this uplifting or did you find yourself halfway through the process going, oh, this seems to be, uh, you know, leading in a more optimistic area? Um. It wasn't like a eureka moment, yeah. but uh, at the very start of the process, um, January 5th, 2017, I had a heart attack and a flat line for three minutes or close to three. I wasn't there to keep count. Right. My wife keeps saying it wasn't really three minutes. It was, I was like, I, what, it was a long time. It felt like an eternity. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I flat line, I was in a coma for a week and um, that wasn't because of the work on Bowie was because of everything that preceded it. And um, I had been, my friends like to say that I'm very much like my films. I'm like kind of a tsunami. Um, I'm not very subtle. Um, I I go hard at life and um, I take my work home with me and it's very stressful. And so my life had no balance. And, and so, you know, I almost died. It was my kid's birthday. And you start 
I was asking myself, so if I had died, what would be the thing that my kids would say, dad always used to say, and I, I couldn't think of what that was. I didn't know what that was. My Father's Day cards are always the same every year for the, since my kids were like seven, which are like, hey, dad, thanks for showing me how to work hard. You know, you're an amazing role model. And what amazing role model, I'm dead at 47. That's not the legacy I want to leave yeah. for my children. My life was not good. It was, there was no balance to it or symmetry. Um, and it was with that frame of reference that I started to listen to David's um, interviews. And I found that I was um, gaining tremendous inspiration through him and that this film would offer an opportunity to create a kind of roadmap for how to lead a successful and fulfilling life in an age of chaos and fragmentation. And should something happen to me that my kids would always be able to look, turn the film on and know that this is the sort of message that I want to share with them. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating experience to kind of get to the end because I was quite prepared to possibly be, you know, a bit sad during yeah. the, the whole uh, experience. But early on, it was a little bit, uh, you know, because I saw the Ziggy Stardust concert mm -hmm. when I was when first came out in 83. Mm -hmm. That's when I sort of kind of discovered Bowie. And then uh, so that bit was a bit like, oh, this is emotional. And then the rest of it, it just feels really joyful and as i said you come out just all right let's take on the world let's do this right now it's such a great feeling um your use of music and imagery is so beautiful was there any song that you loved but just couldn't fit into the narrative at any point i i do have a um weakness for uh under pressure um which uh, was I was sort of torn about using because it's so associated with Freddie. Yeah. And more importantly, at the time, I'll tell you, you see, you've seen the film twice now. I had that as the underscore for his, um, in the 80s when he was flaming out. Oh, right. And the scene never worked. And I couldn't figure out why the scene didn't work. And it didn't work because you're hearing ding, ding, stick a ding, ding. And you're sitting there going like this, bopping yeah. to it. And meanwhile, it's like, I'm trying <laughs> to get to this place where he's like flaming out. And, and one day I was just like, and went 180 degrees and took it out through Ian Fish. And it was like, oh. Right. It's yeah. so obvious. Yeah. And perhaps if I had someone that I was collaborating with, I would have saved myself countless weeks. Um, but this was the problem with working by myself, which is someone else could have walked in on day one and said, you're using an upbeat song. That's your problem. Yeah. Like, but it was, I had to work through these issues. That's such a funny thing to kind of realize, isn't it? Hang on, this is a downer, but this is triumphant. <laughs> Why is this not quite ma matching up how I want it to? And there are a lot of instances like that where it's just like the writing is right there, but you know, you're just kind of like blind by your own, I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, was there an era that you found yourself uh, drawn to more than any others, or were you pretty evenly spread out? I, I my, um, during the research and screening process, I was um, completely committed to balancing David's post-95 work with his um, more celebrated work from the 70s. Right. It was my intent to 
provide a level playing field. And I think the last sort of um, echoes of that are Hello Space Boy at the top of the film. What I discovered when I reached my first assembly was that um, in the film, he meets Amon, and shortly thereafter, there's a performance of Hello Space Boy Live. And the purpose of that performance is like, he's back, he's got his thing. And I, then I found anything that would happen after that just felt gratuitous. Right. Um, and so I wasn't able to explore it. I, I think that audiences might walk away thinking I try to write off or dismiss the last 20 years of his career, but that would that's, in my opinion, a sort of um, faulty read on the film based upon the, the covenant the film is providing, which is clearly not about a chronological um, catalog of all of his achievements. It's really a about his kind of um, creative and spiritual sort of journey. And when he arrives at Amman, he arri- like I said, he arrives at a plateau and sort of stays there. So I felt that that... Um, that we had we had completed our story. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that '90s era I find particularly fascinating because having lived through it as a Bowie fan, it people kind of forget it wasn't uh, front of mind for a lot of people. Like you had Britpop coming through, you had Nirvana covering him, mm. but you know you still had the Enemy uh, Express, you know, writing cruel reviews about outside, kind of missing the inherent humor in his work as well. I think what happened to David in the 90s is um, is older music critics um, wanted, re- rejected him um, for the same reason that younger music critics did, because they thought he was trying to jump on the bandwagon. And um, what they failed to recognize was that's what Bowie has always done. Yeah. He, you know, goes and hears the Velvet Underground and then puts out his own version of it. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily sound like the Velvet Underground. It sounds like Bowie. And I think that's what he's always done. And so um, I think that when we go back and we listen to the Earthling today and you listen to a song like Little Wonder, it's magical. It's as good as anything he's ever done. It's just at the time there was too much resonance and too much baggage for people to really kind of view it along um, as as I think it, it needed it should have been handled I feel like it always got misconstrued as a drum and bass album which it isn't it's a rock and roll album that uses <laughs> yeah. drum and bass to yeah. kind of give it a propulsion yeah. you know uh, the uh, interestingly enough uh, a lot of my friends kids are into Bowie, five years old, mm-hmm. teenagers, mm-hmm. Uh, young adults. Uh, why do you think he still appeals to such a, a younger audience, even at this stage? Well, I think with the little kids, like under eight, it's the cartoon nature of the Ziggy persona. Yeah. Um, I think is, and the music, some of the more pop songs, Let's Dance, and um, are, you know, are, are, are they're, 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 they're very easy to listen to. And um, he's, you know, he would have made a great Saturday morning cartoon character. In fact, I, I, um, I, George Underwood, I, I think uh, one of David's friends, told me that they went to pitch um, in the ABC Saturday morning's cartoon series in the 70s about Ziggy Stardust, and he showed me the character design Amazing. on it. <laughs> I've never um, heard that before. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think that... Um, little Ziggy. Little, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that um, 
the reason Bowie still resonates is because he was writing for the he was writing about subjects that resonate with us today. Um, obviously, you know, in the most obvious sense, his his discussions and ideas and about gender fluidity are finally coming into um, into the into the light. Um, I think it's 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 um, he's you know as I said he was he was writing music that was really um, describing the moment we're in. Um, more importantly, I think, and what I find so interesting is when I was coming of age in 1981, before we had the internet, um, it was hard to find your tribe. Yeah. And Bowie waved a flag that was far and wide and basically invited anyone who was not part of the mainstream to participate. Um, and I'm particularly think that, you know, for those of us who felt like freaks or alienated or confused about our sexual identity, there weren't many other role models. Um, so that sort of incredible function. What I find particularly fascinating is in the age of the internet, in this century where young adults have access to a myriad of different sources, there still seems to be a, a bit of a rite of passage when kids turn 12 or 13 and they um, become aware of David Bowie and um, find the same sort of comfort that I found when I was 12. Um, and I think that maybe because he, um, A, because he's speaking to them and B, seeing him presenting himself in that manner against the sea that he was, you know, of, of controversy. And, and as you see in the film, his kind of smile, you know, the way he was smiling away the criticism and just kind of embracing all of his peculiarities and oddities. And I think it's quite appealing. Uh, part of what I loved was the, uh, I think it's underestimated how funny he was and what a great yeah. sense of humour he had. And it's, uh, your movie's funny. Like, there's lots of funny moments all the way through it. Uh, I, not enough. And I think that's where the film fails in any way, shape, or form from being a documentary of David Jones. I think right. David Jones was hilarious. Yeah. And Bowie is not as funny. Right. Um, and I had a, I collated all of like my favorite humorous Bowie things into like a, a bin and was hoping to sort of exercise them. And it just, the film didn't really invite too much of it. There are yeah. those moments that come up, which are, are quite, um, that I find quite charming. But, uh, but he was, he, uh, he was, um, uh, you know, um, incredible. He was, uh, he was incredibly funny, and I think um, um, not as lonely as depicted in the movie. Again, this was based upon Bowie's own musings and the way that he was presenting his life. And, um, and so I think one gets the sense watching the film that he like had no friends and you know lived amongst existence which again is not entirely um reflective but i think what's interesting 
is in the context of which we view Munich's daydream. And you get to that period post-Berlin where he's wandering and he talks about how he doesn't, never wants to have a home. I think that in that moment, as he was saying it, as the culture viewed him, it, that idea was almost celebratory. But there's an air of pathos to it that I experienced in the film as perhaps being the one moment where looking back, we can see that he hadn't. We now have uh, the keen insight of time to reflect back on it, but it does seem that there was some um, psychological damage from his childhood that needed, that was preventing him from going home, yeah. that he needed to work through. Um, Brett, it's been an absolute treat talking to you. I honestly could have taken up all of your time. Uh, thank you not only for the great work, but I'm glad that your health's back on track for you and your family. So th thanks for thank uh, sharing some time with me. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you to Brett Morgan for being my guest on the podcast. Moon Age Daydream hits theatres on September 15 all over Australia. And if you're overseas, uh, head to the official David Bowie Instagram site or just his website. You can find where it is opening all over the world. I'd like to send out a thank you as well to Louisa and everyone else at NBC Universal for making this happen. Uh, look, if you can make it to the cinema, go and treat yourself. You'll have a blast. You want to feel that music hitting you in the chest you want to see the visuals on the on the big screen it's been mixed to just bounce around uh, while you're sitting in the chair from coming at you from all angles and it's 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 a real experience so uh if you can head to the cinema and have a really good time uh, thank you to our patreon subscriber for the episode alan i hope you enjoyed today's podcast if you'd like to have an episode dedicated to you and access to extra podcasts scripts uh, sometimes there's uh, early looks at upcoming work uh, all sorts of things head to patreon.com forward slash justin hamilton underscore big squid to find a tier that suits you Adelaide friends, remember, we'll be recording live at the Rhino Room on September 16th. Yes, the day after the Bowie album comes out. Why don't you just do yourself a favour, as Molly Meldrum used to say, and uh, go and see Bowie on the 15th and come and see us on the 16th and have the two greatest nights of entertainment that you've had, in at least in 2022. I I'll feel very confident about backing that up. Uh, if you want to come along, I've just released the last of the tickets so head over to adelaidecomedy.com and remember to use the promo code big squid for cheaper tickets and uh, patreon subscribers remember to use your super duper promo code for an even cheaper ticket next week there'll be two podcasts coming your way first up will be a new mini podcast segment called chitter chatter that will drop monday mornings it's a very short podcast and what i'm doing is i'm bringing in uh, a couple of people who will give you some topics that you can use to start conversations for the week uh, you know the world's in a pretty shitty place everything's quite depressing so we've got uh, a whole bunch of just interesting facts that you can walk in and say hey did you know blah 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 and hopefully that gives you something else to talk about than how how awful the world is and speaking of how awful the world is the big podcast for the week will be with the dollops dave anthony 
Yes, Dave and I will be discussing how awful the world is. But, you know, in that Dave Anthony way, we also have uh, a little bit of uh, pop culture chat that might take you by surprise. Turns out we've both been watching The Sandman. Uh, At that point, uh, I was halfway through the series, so... uh, Maybe I'll do a Sandman episode for you later on, but uh, that will be uh, a good fun chat with Dave Anthony next week, so keep an eye out for both of those podcasts. And uh, over the next few weeks, we have uh, uh, Parsi Amel coming back, we have uh, Nick Kennedy, uh, a drummer in uh, Imperial Broads, who is touring, talking about his career. Uh, we have uh, a two-part Space Podacy, just Rove and me. Uh, they're all ready to come up. Oh, and also Brisbane comedian Bron Lewis, who has become a new friend of recent times after we did a week of gigs, and I think she's just great. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up for you uh, in the next couple of months. Let's finish today with a quote from David Bowie. All art is unstable. Its meaning is not necessarily that implied by the author. There's no authoritative voice. There are only multiple readings. It's great to be back. Thank you for joining me. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.